for Daily Power Parsha. Today's date is July 8th, Thursday, July 8th, 2021, and we have a lot to talk about. This is the fifth reading. Hey, Olia, good to see you. Welcome, welcome. So this is reading number five for the fifth day of the week, which is Thursday, of our double portion, Matot Emase. I'm going to share my screen, and we will be up and running in Torah study. All right, again, Torah portions right here, Matot Mase, chapter 33 of Numbers, fifth reading. We're ready to go, locked and loaded. Verse number 50, let's begin. So the Lord spoke to Moshe, sorry, spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho, saying, so this is what God says to Moses in the Aravot Moab, in the plains of Moab, by the Jordan, by Jericho, by the Jordan at Jericho. So I guess the Jordan River is a bit of a long river but the part of the Jordan where it is near Jericho. And this is what God says. And obviously, I'm sure by now, with all, every day I try to give you the context just so everyone's on the same page, you know that these are the final, some of the final commands that God is telling Moses before he passes away and before um, the Jewish people enter Israel. So all of these are kind of like last-minute instructions. Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, okay, so when, when y'all go in, verse 52, you shall drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, destroy all their temples, destroy their molten idols, and demolish their high places. Let me explain. There was an option for everyone to stay and for everyone to live peacefully if they would have kind of accepted the Jewish sovereignty of the land and the promise that God gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the Jewish people, etc. It could have all worked out. But if there is protest, if there is um, pushback, then the mitzvah is to clear out the land, get rid of the idolatrous temples, get rid of the idols themselves, and demolish the high places. That's a reference to the altars that the idol worshippers would use for pagan worship. Let's continue. You shall clear... Yeah. What peoples were there, do you know? Yeah, it was pagan, Canaanites and the Amorites. There were seven nations. The, he, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Amorites, Jebusites. Who else? I don't know. Whatever. There's a bunch of nations. Who are they today? I don't, I don't think they exist. All right, clear out the land, settle it, for I have given you the land to occupy it. Oh, that's a trigger word. But yeah, basically, you have, I would go settle, to be honest. Occupy. Lareshet, I don't know. Yerusha is more of a settling than an occupation, but whatever. You got, you got it. You get the gist. 54. You shall give the land as an inheritance to the families by lot. Right, we talked about this, I want to say, last week. Right, how we divide the land of Israel. It's divided both logically and lottery, both ways, and they both lined up, they synced up. So divide the, give the land as an inheritance to your families, to the tribal families by lot. To the large, you shall give a larger inheritance, and to the small, you shall give a smaller inheritance. Whatever, wherever the lot falls shall be his. Again, this interplay between divided um, logically, right, create an algorithm versus, or at the same time, put it up to chance. Wherever the law falls shall be his. And the idea here is, as I said, I think it was last week, maybe the week before, that there's this dual system of logic and rationale, or the rational and the super-rational. 
right? The, the logical and the, the super logical. In life, it's the combination of the choices that we make, the logical choices that we make, and the stuff that happens to us. And we believe that the stuff that happens to us and the choices that we make are all guided by God in sync to where we need to be. This is in accordance with, of course, what we explained last night about the idea of challenges and that all coming from God, whether they are imposed from without or even the self-imposed challenges. According, back inside, according to the tribes of your fathers, you shall inherit, again, emphasizing that tribal identity and thus inheritance of land in Israel is based on the patrilineal system, patrilineal descent from the father. So identity, Jewish core, core, core Jewish identity is by the mother, tribal identity by the father. Verse 55 is a warning, but if, this is God to Moses, but if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, in other words, you say, eh, let them be, it's fine. Let them serve their gods, we'll serve our God, whatever, right, live and let live. Then God promises and, and warns, then those whom you leave over will be as spikes in your eyes and as thorns in your sides. I'm going to explain the difference. So they will be spikes in your eyes and thorns in your sides. You ever hear the expression, a thorn in my side? This is literally where it comes from. It comes from the book of Numbers, chapter 33, verse 55. And they will harass you in the land in which you settle. In other words, it's not a good idea. Yes, peace and love is always the good approach, but if you have someone that is going to harm you, spiritually, physically, or otherwise, you have to take action to, um, to forewarn that. What does it mean that they will, be as you, they will be as spikes in your eyes and thorns in your side? Spikes in your eyes are obvious. You can't miss it, right? There's a spike, not your, not, I don't mean anyone present, but a spike in one's eye that you can see it coming. But a thorn in the side is almost like someone can get, can get one, you know, when they're unaware with a thorn in the side. It's like, kind of like stabbing in the back in a similar way. So in this context, what it means is not just they're going to be annoying, but they're gonna, the, the enemies will do things that are overtly antagonistic, but they'll also do things that are, without even knowing, secretly antagonistic. And let me give you a modern-day example. There is the anti-Semitism that says, you know, we hate Jews, we don't want Jews around. That's, that's the obvious challenge. That's the thorn, the spike in the eyes. And then there's, we love you, we're friends, you're welcome. Just, you know, don't be so Jewish. Be part of us, assimilate, be part of the culture, be normal, whatever. And that is also a challenge to our core identity. But it's nice and it's friendly. And, and it may not even be that somebody is saying that with that intention, but the point is that there's two types of challenges, the ones that are obvious and the ones that are not so obvious but are still as difficult. So just something to think about, themes that, we, that come up from here about being proactive and recognizing potential challenge. Let's continue, 56. And it will be that what I intended to do to them, I will do to you. In other words, if you don't take care of business, then negativity, God forbid, will befall the Jewish people. Again, God forbid. Let's continue with, with chapter 30. So what, do we, so what do we learn here? The idea of clearing out the land, getting rid of challenges, try at least to the best of our ability, recognizing that if we keep the negative triggers around, it could be negative, whether they're obvious, whether they're not so obvious. It's important to create a healthy context. And what that means on a practical level, which we haven't spoken about yet, is let's talk about our homes. 
Let's say we want to create a home environment that is conducive to spirituality. Okay, great. Well, what in our home is not so conducive to spirituality? Right? What is kind of, uh, you know, what is, you know, making it not so spiritual in my house? For some people, maybe it's, uh, you know, cable television. or what, I, I don't want to pick on anything specifically, but it could be that there's something that a person feels, you know, this is distracting me and taking me away from where I need to be. Right? Um, whatever influence it might be. How do we create a sacred space so that we are more aligned with where we want to be, where we need to be, etc.? That is something to think about um, as we think about modern um, applications of this idea of kind of getting rid of the negative influences so that we can create a holy environment. We can create a holy land wherever we are in our own lives. All right, verse. Th- by the way, one thing to, to mention, and not the negative, but the positive is Jewish books. Get Jewish books in your home that creates, it's like a spiritual air purifier, right? You know, you can buy these things with the HEPA filters and it circulates the air and it purifies your home. Jewish books, have a Siddur, a prayer book, have a Chumash, a, a Torah book, have like the five books of Moses, have a book of Tanya, the Bible of Chabad Hasidic philosophy, etc. Uh, one, one of the programs that I want to do this year is a Jewish book fair. So people have an opportunity to come out. We'll do it. It's going to be in the winter. Come out, and we'll have like a copy of a bunch, like one copy of a bunch of different books, and you can put it in order, and we'll get it, discount. But there's a special day that's a Jewish book day. It's the fifth day of Tevet, and the good news is that the publisher, the Jewish publisher has the, the main Chabad publisher, has a 50% off sale that time of year. So it's, you can get a good deal also. So it's a good time to have a book fair, to get a nice discount, and to get some Jewish books. Donna, yeah. Maybe we can also somehow, maybe a mini preview one in the uh, farmer's market we're going to be doing. Oh, maybe when is that? I think I should, I think we're meeting uh, in a couple, in next week, I think, with, the, with Rabbi Schusterman. Nice. Okay, cool. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that could be a nice thing. I will say that the holy items for a home are Jewish books, like I mentioned, a mezuzah on your door. And not only, not only in the front door, you know, ideally on every door of your home, except bathrooms, but every livable door, every room that you go into and it's livable should, should have a mezuzah. Um, yeah, so it's good to create a holy environment. And I think it fits, I think it fits with this theme of, of creating holy environments where, um, you know, we're talking about creating a holy land by getting rid of negative influences and introducing positive ones. It's a great, a great time to think about what we can do in our own mini lands, if you will, our own homes. All right, Numbers chapter 34, let's continue. Verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Command the children of Israel and say to them, When you arrive in the land of Canaan, again, these are God. this is God telling Moses to tell the people to, what to do when they get into the land. He's not going to go in. He's not going to lead them. But God wants the communication to come through the leader, through Moses, the OG leader. Tell the people, when you arrive in the land of Canaan, this is the land, oh, here we go, borders. This is the land that shall fall to you as an inheritance, the land of Canaan according to its borders. How do we know where Israel is? <laughs> how, where does it go? It's not like you see a map and there's a thing, there's a border. How, how do you know where to create the border? So God communicates the borders of the, of the original land of Israel right here. So get out your pens. Let's start co- cartographing or whatever it is. Um, verse 3. Your southernmost corner shall be from the desert of 
Zin, or Tsin, along Edom, and the southern border shall be from the edge of the Sea of Salt, the Dead Sea, to the east. The border, and by the way, my objective in this is to read it, and I'm not going to necessarily break it down geographically. That's way out of my pay grade right now. So we're just going to go through it. The border then turns south of Mala Akrubim, the elevation of Akrubim passing towards Zin, and its end shall be to the south of Kadesh Barnea. Then it shall extend to Hazar Adar, or Hazar Adar, and continue toward Azmona, Azmon. The border then turns from Azmon to the stream of Egypt, and, it extend, and, it sh- and its end shall be to the sea. Okay? I'm sure that's the Mediterranean. The western border, it shall be for you the great Mediterranean Sea. Well, there you go. And the border, this shall be your western border. Okay? This shall be your northern border. From the great Mediterranean Sea, turn yourselves toward Mount Har. From Mount Har, tor- turn to the entrance of Hamat. Look at that. Hamat. And the ends of, I'm sure it's not referring to the modern version. And the ends, although it's not pronounced in the same way, and the ends of the border shall be toward Sedad. The border shall then extend to Ziphron, and its end shall be Chatzar Enan. This shall be your northern border. You shall then turn yourself, yourselves toward the eastern border from Chatzar Enan to Shefam. The border extends from Shefam toward Ribla. To the east of Ayin, then the border descends and hits the eastern shore of Lake Kinneret. The border then continues down along the Jordan, and its ends is the Sea of Salt, the Dead Sea. This shall be, so we made full circle. If you've been following along at home, you'll notice that we've now made full circle back at the Dead Sea. This shall be your land according to its borders around. Thus the land is drawn. Now, you're, you're probably wondering, well, how does that match up with the borders of Israel as we know it? How different is it? It's approximately the same. It's a little bit different. But you can Google it, borders of the ancient land of Israel, and you might be able to find a cool map, even someone that superimposed it on, uh, on the modern-day map and see some distinctions. I don't, just due to what's going on with me, I don't necessarily have time to pull it up right now, but you can certainly do that and check it out at your leisure. Let's continue with verse 13. We're almost at the end of the reading. Moses commanded the children of Israel, saying, Moses now communicates to the people, that all that was God to Moses. Now Moses turns to the people and says, This is the land which you are to apportion for inheritance through Lot. This is the land. In other words, these are the borders. This is the land. This is what we're working with. That is to be apportioned through Lot that the Lord has commanded to give to the nine and a half tribes. Look at that. You know why nine and a half tribes? You know why. Y'all were around for our previous sessions for the last two days. You know that two and a half tribes took the land outside the formal borders of Israel and the plains of Moab, thus leaving nine and a half tribes to inherit the land. Thus, this, these borders are where the nine and a half tribes should inherit. It's interesting, if they threw lots and they did it divide amongst 12, I guess they would have to throw the lots again and only do nine and a half tribes, but I digress. For the tribe of, oh, why nine and a half tribes? Moses explains, for the tribe of Reuben's descendants, according to their father's house, and the tribe of God's descendants, according to their father's house, and half the tribe of Manasseh, have already received their inheritance here. So those two and a half tribes are already done. They're already settled. They're already spoken for. The two and a half tribes have received their inheritance on this side of the Jordan near Jericho in the east, toward the sunrise. 
sunrise in the east, I guess they get the first light before, before the Jews in Israel, the two and a half tribes get the first light. Um, okay, we have a few minutes. My goal is to end at 12.30. So we have a few minutes. Let me toggle Rashi. Um, Aha. Look at this. Um, Rashi asks a good question, as Rashi is known as want to do. So the Torah, God says to Moses, yeah, when you cross the Jordan, make sure to drive out the nations. So Rashi asks, were they not previously forewarned about this a number of times? God says this a number of times, like make sure to get rid of the people that are, make sure to get rid of idolatry. Yeah, we know, we got it. We got the memo. We're, we're all, all on the same page. Rashi explains, however, Mo Moses said to them, when you cross over the Jordan on dry land, you shall cross on this condition. For if not, water will come and inundate you. In other words, if you cross the Jordan and your intention is, nah, we're not going to bother anybody. Well, we'll just settle the land. We'll be fine. Everyone will live together. He says, then you're not going to cross. They crossed the Jordan. The Jordan split for them like it did with the sea. So he's telling them that miracle is, is going to fold and the water is going to come and drown you. And so we find that Joshua said the same to them while they were still in the Jordan, while crossing the Jordan River. Joshua warns them that this is the precondition for this journey. Okay, that's a great Rashi. Let's... Um, I'm just quickly looking this, looking at these Rashis. Rashi has a different take on spikes and eyes and thorns in the side. I, I said obvious and not so obvious challenges or, or enemies, whatever you want to call it. Rashi says this. Um, he says spikes in your eyes, um, pins that will gouge at your eyes. The Unculus, Targum Unculus, renders pins or spikes. And thorns, Rashi says the commentators interpret this in the sense of hedge of a hedge of thorns which will surround you, fencing you in, and confining you so that none can leave or enter. In other words, if you leave the nations, they will serve to isolate you and cut you off from, I don't know, from living the way you want to live. They will harass you, cause you distress. Okay. Um, ah, this is cool. This is very important and maybe relevant to our previous conversations. God here defines the borders. Why, Rashi says, since many precepts apply to the land of Israel and do not apply outside the land, a topic that we've discussed over the last few days, certain mitzvot only apply when you live in Israel. So therefore, Scripture found it necessary to chart the outer limits of its boundaries from all sides to inform you that the precepts apply everywhere within these borders and not outside the borders. Which, by the way, seems to indicate that the two and a half tribes you got it, we're not in the land, would not have those mitzvot applicable to them. Um, ba -ba -da -ba One second. Let's see what this is. All right, we're going to skip that one. Oh, now Rashi gets heavy. And, you know what, let me read this one shall fall to you, since it was apportioned by lot, the division described in terms of Nephila falling a word commonly used in connection with lots. Like the lottery fell on this number, for whatever reason it's called fall. The Midrash Agada says that this expression is used here because the Holy One must be cast down from heaven, the celestial ministers of the seven nations. Ah, God 
caused the angels of those seven nations that were in Israel or Canaan, God caused them to fall down to diminish in power and shackled them. God shackled the the angels of those nations before Moses. He said to Moses, see, they no longer have any power. We know this. Remember when Jacob wrestled with an angel? Remember that, that whole yeah. thing? Ja yeah. Who did he wrestle with? He wrestled with the angel of his twin brother. Why does his brother have an angel? Because his brother was the father of a nation, the nation of Edom or Edom. So every nation has an angel. That was the angel. That was a manifestation of that angel in physical form that he was wrestling with. Here, God is telling Moses, you're going to go into the land. This is the battle. These are the battles you're going to fight. But I'm already diminishing the power and the might of the angel, of the protective angel of these nations. So you got this. Look at the Rashis on the borders. That's a massive, massive Rashi right there. It's a lot of Rashi. A lot of commentary. Rashi is really breaking down what the borders are looking like. But I don't know that I want to get into this. Um, in detail, because it's more of a visual thing, at least for me, let's, um, uh, I think we're good. You know what, let's just do this, last Rashi, in the east toward the sunrise, Hebrew is Kedma, east is Kedem, Kedma, meaning like Kedem grape juice, okay, Kedem is, um, is east, means east, meaning toward the front of the world, the front of the world, which is in the east. Oh, I, this is new information, right? Perhaps. The front of the world is in the east. Why? For the east side is called the front, the forefront, literally the face, and the west is called the back. My understanding is because of this, if we're going where the sun rises every morning, so the front right, is the east and the back is the west. Thus, the south is to the right and the north is to the left. Oh, now we're getting all the directions involved in this stuff. So if you're facing east which is the front of the world based on sunrise, right? So the front is the east, the back is the west, the south is the right, and the north is the left. And now you know the rest of the story regarding directions. All right, my friends, it's great to see you all. Sorry for cutting it short, but I have to prepare for a journey of my own back to the ATL. So I'm going to bid adieu and farewell. Um, what are the lessons that we can walk away with? Number one, be aware of our environments. Let's be aware of our environments and create beautiful, spiritual, and holy environments for ourselves. If we recognize that there's something in our environment spiritually that is not good, let's, let's, let's drive it out of the land. Let's eliminate it. And in its stead, let's bring in positive influences. Let's bring in books, mitzvah items like a mezuzah. I spoke a few days ago about kosher food in the kitchen. Even, and I want to just mention kosher. Even if a person is not ready to go 100% kosher, fully kosher the kitchen, etc. Even without kosher in the kitchen, one can be as careful as possible to make sure that what comes in to the home is kosher. And today, it's easier than ever. We live in a country in which there are kosher certifying agencies that are very good about labeling the products, unlike certain places in Europe, for example, where you have to just kind of know what's kosher, which items, are, it's, very, it's a little bit more complicated. But here in America, super easy. Check the label, look for an OU, or an OK, or a K or whatever it is, the various kosher symbols, you can Google them and find you know, a chart of kosher symbols. If you have a question, you can text me. Um, and that's it. That's it. It's uh, look for kosher. 
And pretty much every, okay, obviously certain products are just not kosher and will never be kosher, right? As you can imagine. But most mainstream products, you can find either what there is, what you're already buying is kosher, if you look on the label, or you can find a kosher variety or variant of it. So, what's the moral of the story? Let's, let's bring more Jewish, more holy, more good things, positive energy, spiritual vibes into our homes. And we spoke about borders. It's good to have borders and know the borders and do what we need to do. All right, my friends. See you all. Ray, Donna, Sarah, Olia. Good to see you all. Have a wonderful day. And um, lots of blessings. Oh, Sarah, you're outside. Nice. We get to see the, the cloudy and a little bit blue sky. All right, awesome. We'll see you guys soon. Bye. Take care. Bye. Safe travel. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. Have a good day. Did you eat this? Food?